Welcome to the Green Up Possibilities podcast, empowering you with information about what is possible, improbable, and nearly impossible with money. Brought to you by Green Up Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. I'm Aaron Kirsch, Chief Client Advocacy Officer at Green Up Wealth Management. And I'm Daniel Grulick, Chief Investment Officer at Green Up Wealth Management. Aaron, glad to be talking with you today. Today, we have a fun topic of infrastructure spending. It does seem like whether you turn on the TV or the radio or any type of media nowadays, that infrastructure spending and an infrastructure spending bill is top of mind. And today, we're going to cover the who, what, where, when, and why of infrastructure spending. And we're going to talk about how to invest for it. So we're recording this podcast the second week of September as Congress is debating passing a very large infrastructure bill. Dan and I are going to avoid debating the merits of this particular bill, and we're going to try our best to avoid talking about politics. Dan, in elementary school, we learned to ask those five W's, who, what, where, when, and why, and sometimes how. So let's start with what. What exactly is infrastructure spending? That's a good question, Aaron. Infrastructure in general has been not really a widely or hotly debated topic unless it's something that's going to move through. And that's most likely because we don't see it very often. But infrastructure spending is essentially like the foundation of the United States. It's spending money on things that allows our society to go. And you see that in a couple of different ways, and it matriculates through the economy. You'll see that in, obviously, the media. You'll see that in fiscal and monetary policy. You'll see that in just driving on the highways and your roads and seeing people working on the side of the road and, you know, causing you to be delayed going into work. So there's lots of different areas that infrastructure really touches us in our day-to-day life, but it is generally going to be the foundation of society that allows our economy to run. And Dan, you mentioned fiscal and monetary policy, and I just want people to understand the difference Fiscal policy is when the government is spending money, and monetary policy is when the Federal Reserve, also known as the Fed, is setting interest rates. So what we've seen in the past, what's hit a lot of headlines over the last decade since the Great Recession, is the monetary policy that the Federal Reserve is doing. But here, specifically, infrastructure is fiscal policy, spending by the government. So the next W I want to address, Dan, is why. Why should the government spend money on infrastructure? Aaron, that is a fantastic question. And this is something that if I were a politician, I would love to talk about whether I would be a Democrat or a Republican. Infrastructure in general has a very long track record of improving GDP and the economic standing in any country of which it occurs in. And what we mean by that is, one, infrastructure plans are generally shovel-ready plans, meaning that once they are spent, you immediately see people who are not employed, employed. And that most certainly matriculates into the rest of the economy. We also see it day by day in our lives, just by driving on the roads. And one thing that we don't think about as much, but I'm sure has been on everyone's mind and everyone has experienced this during this last fun year of the COVID pandemic, which is ordering something that generally takes maybe a week or so to get to you, yet it doesn't take a week or so, Aaron. It takes two to four months. We ordered a dining room table in October of last year. Guess, Aaron, when we got it? 
Uh, February? March, close. March of this year. So if you don't have proper infrastructure or you let your infrastructure fall apart, you're going to see issues with supply chains. And thus, you're not going to have an economy that is rolling or functioning quite as well as it could be. Or in other words, you would never build a three-story house on a foundation that can only hold a one-story house, right? We need to be very cognizant that we can't build upwards in the economy without a strong infrastructure. There are a tremendous amount of examples that politicians, economists, and individuals can pull from of where infrastructure has added one to two percentage points of GDP growth per year over a five to 10-year period. Dan, you mentioned that infrastructure spending can boost GDP or gross domestic product. Uh, China's been on a tear with their public spending, and it seems like over the last decade or two, that's been a huge driver of their incredible GDP growth. You know, Aaron, I think that is a very good point with looking at China. I haven't personally been over to China, but I have plenty of clients and antidotal evidence of people talking about going over there, going into these massive cities with no one living in any of the skyscrapers. So China is a very interesting example in that you have seen substantial GDP growth through infrastructure spending, really coming from the early 2000s on. And China's GDP has been averaging somewhere around 8 to 9% per year during that period, which is fantastic. You know, we in the U.S. are happy with a 1.5% to 2% GDP growth. But what happens when you build infrastructure that you do not use? I think that maybe is another question for another podcast. Yeah, it probably is. Dan, you also mentioned that the spending on infrastructure kind of matriculates through the entire economy. And there's this concept called the multiplier effect, which is every dollar you spend on infrastructure, that might generate maybe $2 of productivity because you're hiring people. Those people have jobs. They pay taxes. They spend the money on goods and services that help local businesses and and other businesses. So this multiplier effect does seem to work in most studies that you find. And a lot of the studies, Aaron, are built off of infrastructure spending for the money multiplier. So that's a fantastic point. And that's one reason why shovel-ready jobs and spending from the federal government that goes directly into individuals' pockets that are creating jobs is such a fantastic way to grow the economy for a short period of time. Because that individual is all of a sudden not going to be collecting unemployment benefits that they were beforehand, but will have income. They will invest that income into banks and their savings accounts. Banks then lend that money out. And so you're right. Generally, that $1 that is going towards income will change into 2 to $3 through a money multiplier effect. That is almost specifically studied off of infrastructure spending. You know, when it comes to job creation from infrastructure spending, I think the most famous example in the United States is the New Deal that followed the Great Depression. People were out of work, and the government created jobs for them, and that really brought us out of the Great Depression. So now we are currently near full employment, and they're talking about infrastructure spending. Some businesses are just having complete labor shortages. They can't get people that they need to to work at the jobs they have available. So the next question, Dan, to ask is when? When should you be doing infrastructure spending? That is the trillion-dollar question, Aaron, overall. And I'm glad that you asked it 
overall, we're probably not in the area of the economic cycle that would dictate that we need infrastructure spending. But we have been in such a deficit for infrastructure spending. If you look at Morgan Stanley, they did a study that said that we need roughly $3.1 trillion in estimated infrastructure spending specifically for highways and bridges just to bring us up to a satisfactory code. I agree that I don't think that now is a great time to be doing an infrastructure bill, that coming out of a recession is a great time for that type of spending. But at how long do you wait for your infrastructure to deteriorate before you have to make changes? And these projects take time. You don't just spend it all in the first year, right? Correct. And that's one of the nice things from an economic standpoint is they usually have lasting economic effects for five to 10 plus years. And with the current bill, the plan is to spend these trillions of dollars over the next 10 years. So it will be spread out. It's not just going to be hitting all at once. Correct. And that usually makes a lot of sense with infrastructure spending because they're usually such massive investments that you cannot accomplish the projects all at once in a year's period. So they they will last for a longer period of time and have much more lasting impacts when it comes to economic growth. The fourth question from the five W's is who? There's a widely held belief in America that corporations are more efficient and more effective than government. But sometimes there are projects that the private sector will not do or just cannot do. Dan, who does the projects involved in infrastructure spending? Aaron, this is probably going to be one of the hottest and widely contested portions of the conversation that we're going to have, if you can have that with infrastructure. But with that, you know, getting a little bit more serious there, I don't think that you are able in the United States to get out of corporate interaction when it comes to infrastructure bills. And so you will see the government hiring corporations as subcontractors to do a lot of these projects. But the government does, in my opinion, need to be there as an overlay. Corporations will work off of a profit loss calculation when they're deciding what decisions to make and what actions to take. And so if we need an infrastructure bill done in a certain period of time, we can let the free market take care of it and let corporations decide how and when projects should be done. I think if you look at the United States, you can easily see areas where they have high access to broadband and Internet access and then areas where they're not. And it does tend to be in more urban, densely populated metropolitan areas that you see greater infrastructure. And I don't think that is a coincidence there when it comes to corporations. Corporations are going to do things on their own timeline, not on the timeline of society. And Aaron, I think you hit the nail on the head with why you need government involvement when it comes to things like infrastructure spending. Because a lot of times where infrastructure is needed most is not the area that is most profitable for a corporation to take on. Dan, there's also some projects that are just too large for one company to complete all by itself. Aaron, are you telling me that Apple and Google cannot take care of everything? Well, they probably could if they really wanted to, but but they're trying to make money. As well they should. But in all seriousness, I do completely agree. A lot of times it's not just one corporation that is benefiting from infrastructure spending, which is a reason why it is so highly sought after. It's Caterpillar and John Deere for tractors. It's CSX for moving materials via train. Infrastructure hits a lot of sectors 
that tend not to be very high-octane sectors of the economy, you know, such as industrials, materials, and utilities. All right, Dan, the last question from the five W's is where? Where does the government spend the money? Aaron, I think we would all like politicians to spend the money in the most effective way possible. But we do understand that there will probably be some inefficiencies in how the money is spent. However, you should see a lot of the money go towards jobs, infrastructure, whether that be physical infrastructure such as highways, roads, uh, water lines, or broadband or internet-based infrastructure. And most importantly, no matter where it goes, it's going to go to create jobs, which will then allow the money multiplier effect to take place and have those $1 that are spent trickle into 2 to $3 as they hit the economy. That's a good point. And today, you know, we, we, you mentioned earlier that we need to repair our roads and bridges. We have roads and bridges, but they're in really bad shape. So there's some obvious infrastructure needs that we have. But then, Dan, tell us a little bit more about the non-obvious or non-traditional infrastructure ideas that this particular bill has in it. So, Aaron, these are much more difficult to find studies about of how they actually benefit the economy. But it seems like a no-brainer when you think of childcare and Internet access as being things that will help the economy grow, that will help individuals move themselves into better financial situations and hopefully allow the American dream to continue and not just continue, but to be healthy. It's tough for me to say, and I'm sure others feel the exact same way, that without Internet access, we would be very ineffective in our jobs. And there are still wide portions of the United States, Aaron, that do not have Internet access. The other item is child care. And, and I will say, Aaron, this is near and dear to my heart, having two young ones. But child care is very expensive. It tends to be variable in that it will change quite often. And sometimes you go through multiple daycare centers or, or nannies or people who help you. But, Aaron, if you're a single mother and you do not have child care, I do not know how you pull yourself out of that situation. And it does seem like an economic tool that can be lumped into infrastructure to help grow the economy. Dan, you and I were having a conversation earlier about childcare and how during the pandemic, it was really clear how having children at home, not being able to send them to school or daycare had a profound impact on families. And Aaron, during that discussion, we both came to the same conclusion that infrastructure spending has changed and it's important for our spending to be effective and efficient. And I would expect politicians to add different things into infrastructure spending as time goes on because we're not the same society that we were in the 1950s or 1960s. All great points, Dan. And, you know, it's just not about brick and mortar anymore. Society has changed and it's best to give our society the tools it needs to grow and to thrive economically. Finally, Dan, in school, we learn who, what, where, when, and why, and sometimes how. So let's talk about how. How do we invest our clients' portfolios if this infrastructure bill passes? Aaron, I think that is the second trillion-dollar question that you asked today, and very important. Infrastructure spending does tend to be inflationary. And again, inflation is a topic that I believe you can turn on your TV or radio or any or stream a podcast 
and you'll hear lots of information about how inflation is here to stay or that it's transient and that no one knows. What we do know is that economic growth generally leads towards inflation and infrastructure spending generally leads towards economic growth. So it is a linear connection. However, our job at GreenUp is not necessarily to invest in the area that has the most growth potential. Our job is to invest in the area that has the best growth potential with the least amount of risk or at least an appropriate level of risk. And so when I think of companies like Caterpillar or John Deere or any large company that could be an industrials, a materials company or a utilities company, which generally will benefit from infrastructure spending, I think, wow, those are good investment opportunities, but they still propose a significant amount of risk to GreenUp's clients' portfolios. And that risk can be diversified away by investing in a broad index that's a little bit heavier towards stocks as opposed to going into that specific sector. In a time where we're going to be pairing together infrastructure spending with the possibility of corporate tax increases, with the possibility of raising interest rates, with the possibility of inflation, having our eye on the risk metric of the portfolios is a very important aspect that we don't want to forget about. So right now, as much as I think industrials could do well, I would rather take on that risk for our clients in a broadly diversified stock index. Dan, your comments really summarize our role at GreenUp Wealth Management, which is to provide our clients a diversified portfolio that can do well in just about any kind of market environment with an eye on mitigating risk, and which is customized to each of our clients' individual needs and objectives. And so for the entire team at GreenUp Wealth Management, I'm Aaron Kirsch. And I'm Daniel Gruelich. Thanks for listening. GreenUp Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor, and the opinions expressed are our own. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. 